buyers buy on their time, right? They don't buy on our time. And that's only more true than, than, than before. Hello, everyone. This is Ellen, the producer of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing with Doug Davidoff, CEO of Imagine Business Development and Mike Donnelly, CEO of Seven Cents. Let's get started. All right. Welcome to this edition of the Black Line Podcast. Actually, Mike, I forgot the name of our podcast for a moment. Uh, so, yeah, it's been, it's been one of those days. We'll see how it's going. We're, we're, we're sitting here. It's Wednesday. It's the end of January. I can't believe that as this is being recorded. Um, Super Bowl Sunday is coming up Sunday. So, uh, Mike, what you got going on? Well, first and foremost, we'll see if uh, my prediction is right that the New England Patriots are going to win another Super Bowl, but I don't know if that's what we're uh, necessarily here to talk about. Yeah, that's going to be unfortunate. Yeah. Um, no, I, so one of the things that I – like, you wrote just an absolutely epic post. You'll have to uh, tell me which one. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not all that great, Doug. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, so it was uh, the seven reasons hiring salespeople is the wrong first step for faster growth. And mm -hmm. when I read it, I said, this is just like mind blowing. And all of the thoughts that I had as an enterprise sales rep were just like put in a consolidated form that was just, again, amazing. So I, I went off and I shared it on LinkedIn and it was kind of amazing the, the some of the responses that I was getting to it. Um, it's actually been one of the, for me, it's, it's been a, the amount of views, the number of views, the comments, it's just been absolutely astounding. Like this guy, Mark, who was a VP of sales. And I know him very well. I mean, he was at NetApp, he was at um, Isilon, EMC, et cetera. Um, so lived in kind of that, that startup world, spot on guys, a great synopsis of a hiring perspective for CEOs, VCs, and sales leaders of all early stage companies. Um, again, there's just a lot of great responses to that article. And, and my big question is, you know, what, what led you to writing it? Was it, was there just like an, a moment where it was like, Hey, I, I just got to write this down. Um, I'm just, I'm curious on that. Well, you know, it, it, it's funny because I, th I think that, you know, what led me to write that post was a conversation and, and an issue that had emerged with a prospect that I had just talked to. Um, and, and, you know, cause we've talked about this before and, you know, anyone who, who reads the blog over a period of time, um, sees what we've written, listens to what, what we do, kind of what our take has been on demand generation, knows in some way, shape, or form my approach about the idea that just because you hire. I mean, I guess it started off with, with a statement that I made years ago, just because you hired more salespeople doesn't mean you're going to get more sales. Um, and, and, and what you see all the time is, you know, the company wants more sales, what's our plan? We're going to go hire more salespeople. And, and then what you typically see, you, you'll see revenue growth because you have more going, but you see fewer reps 
hitting quota, you see lower profitability. In, in, in the effort to, to strengthen, you get weakness. And then what do you do? You hire more salespeople. Um, and then you have sales turnover, and then you have all this, um, all this craziness. So it's a concept that I've been talking about for a long time. It, you know, it's one of the main reasons that sales development is, is what it is, is, is that idea of let's generate leads. Let's generate quality leads before we hire more salespeople for them. What, what put it over the line was you know, basically a situation where we were doing an analysis of a, um, of a prospect, and they were planning on doubling the size of their sales team in the first quarter. And in the, in the plan that they sent over that we were assessing, one of their objectives was generate, you know, one of their goals, generate higher volume of MQLs to keep sales, so we can keep sales reps busy. And I'm like, well, well, wait a second. Why are you hiring more salespeople if you don't already have more MQLs than, than you can handle? Um, and, you know, because everything was fresh from having done an economic analysis of what was going on, et cetera, that, that, was, the, that was the thing to put it across the line. The, the impetus is, and, and, and what I think this, the, central, the central premise, and, and, and to, to maybe change one thing that your friend said, I, I absolutely think it applies to early stage, and I certainly took my, um, I certainly took my hats at them. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it applies to, I think it applies to, to early stage, mid stage, and Correct. even large enterprise. I mean, we used Correct. to make the joke all the time when I was at EMC that, shit, we should fire half the sales team and we'd probably produce more revenue. My, my first professional sales job, I set a record, I, they, they gave me a crap territory um, because, I, you know, young kid, let's just give him a crappy territory. What, what damage can he do? turned it into like the top territory in the country, um, went in for my annual review. They said, congratulations, you did a phenomenal job in this territory and you did such a good job that what we're going to do is we're now making it three territories. Right. Yeah, exactly. We're going to, we're going to split your territory into, uh, into three. So I, That's so what I you're had, rewarded with. I have a DC metropolitan area. Right. And, and so we're going to break it into, you know, Northern Virginia, D.C. and Metro Maryland. Um, and I lived in Virginia and Virginia was my best area. Um, Maryland was was my second best area and was OK. And, and what was nice because of the companies that I would have to call on, you know, you drove and you got out of your car and you did that. And then D.C. sucked because, A, it wasn't a particularly, you know, the, the, the businesses in D.C. weren't a particular match for, for what this company did as well. And. And it really, what, what really sucked about it was you, you would basically, uh, you get a good workout because you'd park your car in a garage, you'd carry enough stuff. This was back in the days when we didn't have the internet and you actually had to, you know, carry your collateral in those days, right? Um, so I'd, I'd have my, you know, it was back before backpacks were, were business. So I had my, you know, I had my DC briefcase, which was like a legal briefcase. So I could have enough crap in there to make sometimes like literally all my calls for the day, I would park in a garage, I'd walk and make my calls and, you know, I'd carry, it felt like a hundred pounds to the first call and it would be progressively lighter. And, and so they said, congratulations, um, we're going to break it into three territories and because you've done such a great job, we're going to give you DC. We're going to give you your worst territory. I'm like, well, I'm like, wait, I don't even, well, why don't I just keep Virginia? You know what? We want you in D.C. because of, of, of how, how well you've done. And so you know what I did? You quit. 
yeah, I was being recruited at the same time. Actually, the time that I was being recruited, I'm like, yeah, why am I going to leave? I'm working. I love where I'm working. They gave me a shot. Um, things are good. I'm making good money. Um, so they said, you know, congratulations. You get you get the crap of territory. Um, and I said, hey, great. Thanks. See, ya. I'll compete with you. Um, you know, and then, you know, the rest, and, and, and so, you know, it goes all the way back to that. And, and like, so here's the thing that I see. And, and I think it, it, it I think it's the central premise of, of what is hurting so many businesses. And I, and I see it happening more in, in the future. I don't mean to get a, a super duper geeky right off the bat on, on, on this cast here, but companies are killing themselves. They're, they're, they're artificially killing themselves. Um, so, so for those of you that haven't read the, the, the post, um, we'll, we'll see. I, you know, if I was smart, I probably would have had the blog post up when we started talking. Yeah. I mean, let's, I mean, th that's one of the things that I'd love to do is just kind of like unpack some of the, you know, some of the points of, okay. of the, you know, of the article. Did you at least get a um, set of steak knives for being the top territory? I got coffee. I got coffee. <laughs> you got coffee. Well, that's, got coffee. that's a plus. Um, well, so your first point is it unnecessarily accelerates cash burn rate. And I think that the, the, there's lots of things you can unpack here, but this is, like you said, artificially uh, propping up or uh, artificially accelerating business growth. Um, and I think, frankly, a lot of the VCs are, are, are to blame for, for that. This might be a conversation for another time, but I would say are VCs to blame for that or are VCs simply taking advantage of that? Well, they're taking advantage of that. They're definitely taking advantage of it. Um, which by the way, if, if you are involved in a funded company or, or God willing, you are the executive founder or whatever at a company that is seeking funding, please, I love funding. I think that I'm, I am grateful that, that, that this country and this economic system pr provides that avenue. But do not think for a second that someone who is talking about investing in your company is sitting on the same side as the table as you. Right? They are not your advocate. They are not looking out for you. That, that's not to say they're bad. That's not to say they're wrong. But the nature of how funding works, um, A, they don't know enough to, to be able to, to tell you if your plan will work or not. Um, B, they oftentimes are looking for things, you know, what is in their interest is not in your interest. Um, and, and, and so that kind of gets to the, I mean, the, the unnecessarily accelerates cash burn rate is geared more to that startup environment, that, that, that early growth company. But, but that one actually connects really closely with the last point. So I kind of hit, I kind of sandwiched the two key points in there. So I, I might hit, hit um, I might hit the, the first and the fifth together. So, well, you, you, you and I were talking about it the other night. You said um, you were talking to, um, actually you were talking about the Rand Fishkin um, yep. podcast interview with, um, what is it, Growing Up? Is that the, is the uh, data ground, ground up, ground up, ground up, John Benini. Yep. Yeah. So a uh, little little shout out to our friends at Databox and to John Benini. 
um, great podcast over there. And so you were telling me that, you know, Rand was talking about what venture companies want. Um, and, and, you know, venture companies want, want, they want rockets, right? They want a rocket ship. They, they, they don't want anything other than that. Do I, do I remember that? that, that, that that's exactly correct. Right. I mean, they, 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 they're looking for the next unicorn. I, I was talking to my, well, you know, they say they're looking for the next unicorn. But I don't think they are. Well, they're looking for a, a, at least a 10x return on their capital. They're looking at a 10x return on their money, right? Yeah, right. right. Um, who was it? I think it was Lemkin said, um, if you're a founder and you want to make money from your business, don't raise more than $10 million. Or, and if you raise more than $10 million, then you need to become a unicorn to be able to walk away with them. Yep. Um, and, and I was talking to my, um, my, I was actually talking to my VP of, of sales services, actually on this topic, not, not about blog posts, but on something else today, which was the objective to become a unicorn, which is billion-dollar valuation in less than 10 years, I think. I always forget the time frame. But, you know, billion-dollar valuation in less than 10 years. Um, that objective is not the same objective and is oftentimes not even aligned with the objective of want to build a, a, a good business, want to build a sustainable business, want to build, even I want to build wealth, right? They're not, sometimes they intersect, but they are not the same thing. And, and if you're trying to be a unicorn and if you're trying to get, you know, venture doesn't just want a 10x return. They want what they want in a relatively time-compressed fashion. Oh, they did. Absolutely. 100%. Right. They, they, and, they, and they so, would like a six to seven year return or even shorter. Well, and, and, and what, what, what I think people miss is they're not investing in your company because they think your company is going to generate a, a 10x return for them. They, they're investing in your company because they haven't ruled your company out. And so it fits into this pool of, you know, if I can get enough deaths out there, then enough of these companies, you know, one or two will give me, you know, one will give me a 6X return. One will give me a 10X return. I'll, I'll sell the underlying technology to break even with one or two and I'll write off all the rest and I'll, you know, deliver a superior return. And oh, by the way, let us not forget that a venture fund is really in the business of raising money from other investors so they can charge their venture management fees, exactly. which is really where they make their money, right? And so they just need to be able to, to deliver that return that allows them to make that. And so what they want is they want you there within a six to seven year period and they just assume if you're going to fail, please fail really fast. I, you know, you and I both own private businesses, right? And, and so we look at it and we go, well, hey, well, if I'm spending money, like, do I want to spend this dollar today? Am I, am I confident enough in this dollar that, 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 that it's worth applying it? Or, or am I better off keeping that powder dry? You know, can I learn the lesson in another way? Yeah, it might slow, it might slow something down, but, but it, it allows me to, you know. It's, it's slower, it's slower go growth, but it's responsible growth. Well, here, see, see my, my take, especially if, if you've got the funding, my, my take is that it, it, it's slower growth. No, I'm saying without funding. It's, you know, right. back to your point. But so what I'm saying is even with funding, I still think that this approach, like, 
even with funding, this still matters, this still plays. What, so it's, it's like, um, I, I forget the stat that I saw some time ago, but it, you, know, you think about if you're a basketball fan, um, you'll, you'll see that you know, basketball, you know, first round pick, top first round pick, all right out of high school or, or, or one and done. I guess they're not allowing it out of high school anymore. So they're these one and done kids, right? The kid who's been there for four years and actually, you know, is a solid bet. He doesn't get drafted at the top because he might be more secure. And by the way, if you take a look at the players who have played four years um, at college, played three to four years to get drafted, and, and you look at the success rate of those, you know, how many of those players are still in the NBA 10 years later versus the percentage of people who are drafted when they drafted them right out of high school or one and done, the, the players that you drafted after, you know, after one year are, are less likely to be around after 10 years and I think even after five years, than, than the players who've been there for three or four years. So the three or four year path is the more successful path. It is the, there is a greater return on those. It's just that you don't get LeBron James, right? right. The, the ceiling is higher. And, and because, and by the way, the other thing too, is you already know, you know all their flaws. Whereas this young one, they haven't played enough. So you haven't established, oh, well, he'll never be great at that. Right. And so you're, you're, Yes, you're going to have that one or two super outliers, and like that's what that's what people seeking funding I don't think understand is that the funders are looking for outliers. And yeah, I know you think you're an outlier. Yeah, I know you think you're going to be the next unicorn. Yeah, I know you think you're going to change the world. And God bless you. I really hope that you do. But by definition, you are not an outlier, right? One in a hundred investments that these funded you know, that these funders make hit outlier status if it's one out of a hundred, right? And so you're banking on the fact that you're one out of a hundred. And, and, and again, the sad thing is, even if you are that one out of a hundred, you probably don't make the most money because of, of all the things that happen because you do have to end up raising multiple rounds, $100 million. Right. Multiple, multiple and, rounds and continued dilution and et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 and so you have this, you know, so you have this massive burn. I go out, I hire salespeople and, and I don't even really have a message yet. I don't have a sustainable methodology. Yeah. We've had some people buy some things and, um, and, and, and we've gotten the early adopters, you know, maybe, maybe we're actually applying across in the chasm game. So we did our early adopters. And now we're looking to put, you know, really put some fuel um, through the system. Well, you don't know what any of that is. You don't know what a successful salesperson is. Because by the way, the model of the first two successful salespeople doesn't look like the 10th successful salesperson, right? There's a different thing. So you pump all this money into it. You don't know anything. Your market shifts because you're moving towards the mainstream. All these things happen. You're spending cash which means you have less time to be able to learn. You have more pressure because you've got to hit these numbers and you've got to hit the numbers because your board's yelling you about numbers and you're looking at burn rate. Um, and, and, and so now you take more shortcuts because you need to do that. And, and then you get to the other side and, and well, you run out of money in some cases. Well, you hit that point where you're like, okay, now I need funding, right? Okay, so we, we, we're... We're kind of choking along a little bit, and, 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 I, and I talk about this in, in the post, you know, 
I, I talk about the fact that venture funds use a perverse form of Darwin's law to manage their focus, right? Get you to throw the money out there, make it run, make it happen. Um, you do a lot of wrong things, but really all the venture firm wants you to do, and I don't mean to be bashing venture firms, but all they want you to do is throw enough money at it so that they can get a quick cash at a series A to maybe series B level of funding. Um, is there is there the potential for product market fit, right? And and so we want you to throw enough money at it so that if there's a chance for for a quick enough product market fit, you're going to be at this stage. And oh by the way, you're also going to be out of, out of money. money, right? I I. The first, when I first started working in advising companies that were getting funded, um, I couldn't help but take like an owner's mindset. You know, I was paying attention to ROI because it's funny because they always ask, what's the ROI? And they go, oh, well, we can't wait 18 months to make money on this. We need, we need sales now. Really quick hits, right. Yep. right? <clears throat> and then, and then, then they go in and they hire 42 people for, for seven jobs, <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, and, and they hire all these people who were, you know, oh, well, he was at Tinderbox when they, when they went from, you know, 10 to $100 million. I'm like, oh, okay. He, he, was at, he was there. What did he do there? He was just there. And, and, you know, he now gets to carry this VP title, right? And he gets to carry this VP income and he gets VP stock options. Um, and he doesn't know anything because everything he learned was when the tailwind was, was, was there. Um, and what's the board yelling at you about? You got to spend your money fast enough. You got to increase your burn rate. Well, why do they want you to increase your burn rate? So you run out of money. And it's, right. It, right. And it, well, it, the litmus test is faster. You know, I, I can, I can test much faster yep. by making you spend your burn rate. You know, yep. can, can you do it? And if, if, which is a big if, you cross that chasm and you are successful or have some success where they see, hey, this thing actually ha potentially has some legs. Hey, I get a bigger piece of the pie within the company. Well, not just a bigger piece of the pie. Now I need cash. Right. right. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about the, as, the, as the venture firm. And again, I'm, I'm not trying right. to bash venture firms, but. No, I'm going, I'm, 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 I'm going further than this. I'm saying, so, so I'm the entrepreneur. I've hired all these people. My name is on this. And that now listen, I'm like looking at it. And I'm, I mean, you know this. How, how, many, how many people, how many founders or, or early execs are, you know, superstars? Because they're, you know, they're part of that, you know, they're, they've gotten their Series B, their Series C. They've raised, you know, $30, $40 million. They speak at Saster where I'll be next week. And they're all like, yeah, that's the guy. And, and literally, they're like looking and going, okay, um, am I going to be able to raise the next round before that hit zero? But we, you know, we remember um, yep. um, Jared on, on the show Silicon Valley, and he's, you know, always talking, well, we're going to run out here, right? I mean, like that, like I know like extraordinarily successful guys that it's like they're an inch away from being a stud or homeless. Yep. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration. But, but so now... I'm like, I really have to be all in because not, not only is my reputation on the line, not only is my baby on the line because this was my idea, but I've hired all these people. I need money, right? But I also don't have the economics to have a whole lot of choice. And oh, by the way, I need money fast. 
it's a lot easier to get money from the people that already know you than, than to go around. By the way, there's now greater risk to, to other people potentially. And so I have to go to the key people to raise money, right? I've got less choice, which means they're going to drive a better deal. So, so not only will they increase their, their, their percentage of ownership, but they're going to force even more of a percentage of ownership than, than if it was, you know, than if raising money really should be an accelerant, not, not a life raft, right? So I have, to, I have to, you know, give up more of the company. And what's worse is, is the underlying terms and conditions of that round. Yep. Which right. a lot of people don't, right. Which a lot of people right. don't take into consideration. Well, you know, preferential and, and dilution, which by the way, a lot of people don't take into consideration. But here's the other part. They don't have a choice. Right? I don't have the option to say, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not going to do that because, I mean, shit, you can just decide to sell me halfway through the journey and you'll make all your money back and I won't get anything. And, you know, they can't say no to that because if they say no to that, then they're out of money, in which case they have nothing. So they have to take it. Right. And so, again, I don't mean that. That's why I said in the beginning, is this, be, is this caused by venture funds? Or, or are they just taking advantage of, this, of the big vision and, and the, the confidence of entrepreneurs, realizing, you know, it, 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 it just reminds me so much of, of the stories of Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, you know, all these young kids who, who dreamed of being rock and roll stars who signed deals and then found out, oh, I don't own my music. I don't, I don't even own anything. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, oh, you mean I was just hired, right? And, you know, the, the, oh, by the way, great, you know, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Um, I mean, he, he didn't produce a record for like three and a half years um, because he was in, you know, he refused to record another song or do anything until he owned his music. Um, what came out in his biography, in his autobiography that he wrote was that he was like, out of money he was basically homeless at the time that, that you know that he was holding out and and there aren't a lot of people that would have stuck to their guns as, as much as they did um and, and probably the best thing about Springsteen was he kind of came from you know freehold new jersey and was used to sleeping on friends sofas anyways so you know right so so it was like he could continue to live that lifestyle you know, the CEOs were, you know, we're, we're, we're flying. We've got a frequent flyer miles. We've got our, you know, our Lexus, our Jaguars, or this or that. It's like, you know, I can't run out of the money. So, so those, those well, I mean, the other, the, the other thing, which a lot of people don't even talk about is think about all the employees. They're oh. hiring. I mean, in, in, in the startup world, even in the mid market world, you're, you're getting talent based on, hey, we're going to give you stock options, and we're, but we're going to give you a lower pay, but hey, you get all these stock options. And then those stock options, again, nine times out of 10, end up being just absolutely worthless. Um, and then even, you've, I've, I've had plenty of friends, and this has happened in more recent years, where, again, the VCs do what, really what I think is just all financial engineering. Um, and there's this whole new process of, of preferential treatment, which is called ratcheting. So even if you make it to the promised land, you go public, you, you know, you have, you know, the public market you're doing well in, and then all of a sudden something bad happens, the, the market uh, corrects itself on, on your company. 
and you had a $5 billion private valuation, but then now you've got a $3 billion valuation, the VC firm is going to ratchet that back and any ownership mm -hmm. that they had at the $5 billion valuation is now going to ratchet back to $3 billion. And guess who gets crushed in that? The employees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the employees who, who, who had their stock options were counting on it and then all of a sudden, oh wait, their strike price got reset to, to, to something higher to address for this or, right. or there was a reverse stock split of options and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so let's, let's keep going a little bit and, and trying to unpack this. I mean, uh, that's probably a great podcast for another time as far as like talking about what we've seen, experienced with the- with What's the, wrong with venture funding? Venture funds, right. Well, we'll be sure to not ever raise around the funding if that's, that's the direction that we go. Um, but I mean, you've touched on this before and this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, point two, it demoralizes your top salespeople. Um, I, at, I, at previous companies, I was always in the top 5%. And just like you, the next thing you know, I have a great year. And they're like, oh, we're going to split your territory. And a good friend of mine at, um, who I'd, I last worked for before I founded 7 Cents, he was the sole rep in a territory and he was the number one rep in the company. So what they did was they said, Hey, we'll make you a player coach. Why don't you hire a rep or two? And the next thing you know, literally within a year, that territory went from one rep to seven reps. The addressable market just was absolutely 100% not there, but they're playing a shell game. You know, hey, some of these guys are going to be successful. Some of them aren't. Um, they're literally, we used to laugh about it. They're paying me 300 grand to cold call. Like me. I'm sitting here cold calling, you know, prospects. And, you know, th there's a much better way to use the, the, that money and, you know, keep, keep A players around. Because as soon as you start doing those cuts and those, you know, hey, we're going to split up your territories. The next thing you know, all of your A players leave you know, revenue goes down significantly and, you know, customers are upset, et cetera. Yeah. So I'm going to move this with two and three. It demoralizes your top salespeople and it actually increases turnover. Um, you know, not, 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 not to mention the fact that, that, you know, a hiring salespeople is, is a hard thing to do. And the mid is, is extraordinarily high anyway. Um, you know, I told the story of, Hey, congratulations, Doug, you, you, you've made the territory from barely worth one person to now worth three. Um, by the way, as a side note to anybody that, that's in a position, the single number one sign to look for to say you should leave this company. You know, it's like the, the Eddie Murphy um, comic routine where he's talking about the, the horror movies. He's like, you know, get out. Get out of there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we have to so here's the, you know, the, the, the sales equivalent of get out is we'd like you to be player coach. Yep. But if, if anyone ever says to you or you see somebody gets named player coach, that is a really good indication. It is time for you to go find a company that's actually serious about, about growth and serious buy about being committed um, to their sales team. So right. they don't buy on our Here's time. what and I want people only to learn. If they learn than nothing else than before, um, what we can do, and you know, what, we, we can influence that time, but we can't change that time. And so 
you know, I talk, I talk later in the piece about burning through your total adjustable market. You talked about that as, as demoralizing your, your sales, your sales team. You know, the, the other myth is that like your total addressable market might be huge, but that doesn't mean your total addressable market in the market this year. Yep. Like maybe 3% of your total addressable market will be in the market this year. Right. And, and maybe if you're not GE, you'll capture 3% of your adjustable market. But you look at these projections of people that, that are like, they're going to capture 80% of active buyers this year if, if you were to actually break down that number. And, and oh, by the way, we don't have any demand. And, and by the, please don't get me wrong. If, if, if you're generating leads and your sales team is running at full tilt, um, and, and you're good with all of your salespeople, then yeah, absolutely you hire salespeople, right? But, but now they're managing, you know, this specific process. And, and frankly, your sales team's not going to be demoralized by that. And the ones that are, they shouldn't be there anyway, right? The reason that salespeople get demoralized is because we end up hiring, and I hate it so trite, um, you know, A players, B players, and C players. But, but look at the sales quality that you hire. It goes down. Yeah, because you got to well, you've got to you've got to speed up the process, and 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 and, and there and might not be as much opportunity within an organization. Um, well, it, it also you also go from being a well, so you go from having four or five salespeople to ten salespeople. You're like, okay, we're we're hiring five more salespeople. No, you're not you're totally changing your entire business because now you don't know what every salesperson is doing. Now process is crucially important. Now you've got ramp up. Now two salespeople are going to turn over that year. But you're going to run, sales teams are going to turn over 20 to 30% per year. A good, by the way, if your sales team isn't turning over 20 to 30% per year, you probably have a problem with your sales team. Assuming that your sales team is more than two or three people. Right. Right. So I, I totally agree. Between, between upgrading your lower talent and look, you know, there are some salespeople that they want to be salespeople. They like selling. They like, they like that pursuit. And they're with you for three, four, in some, in some cases, God forbid, five years. Um, and it's like, well, you know what? It's easier for me to go to another business that maybe sells a complimentary service where I can leverage my, my Rolodex and kind of go through and do it again. And, and, and for the salesperson who wants to be a salesperson, that's what they should do. And, and, and those, are, those are great people to have. In, in, well, in, you know. you're also, well, you're missing one point there with regards to some of those top salespeople leaving as the organization grows. And that's process. Yeah. I, I used to just cringe when it was like, Hey, we're, we're going to double the sales force, this team or the sales force this year. And it wasn't necessarily because my territory was being cut or I didn't think I could, you know, help customers make a lot of money. It was purely that, Oh goodness, this is just going to be more and more and more process, which is going to take away from my ability to, either spend time with my family or go out and sell more stuff. Well, that, you know, that, that, that's a good point. You have certain salespeople that are built for, for a type of company. And then you also have, yep. you, you have lone wolf. 
Um, and so, and so your, 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 the natural turnover is going to be 20 to 30%. So, so now there's more process, you know, all kinds of things change and you know what, you weren't really there. You weren't ready for it. You hired too early. You hadn't learned everything. I mean, here, here's the thing. I, I, I'll say this. If you know your math, then you can hire more salespeople. If you know your math and, and all of your stages are full, you can hire more salespeople, right? When you don't know your math, then hire salespeople judiciously, right? And figure out what your math is. If you know your math and, and your, your, um, your funder, Wall Street, whoever, is saying, we need more growth. Well, you need to have the cojones to say the growth isn't there. The only way we can grow the business at that rate is to do things artificially that, that will hurt the long-term um, prospects of our business or acknowledge that in fact, you're, you're prioritizing the short term of the long term. And I see companies doing this a lot right now. I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, you know, it, it's bad. The sales world is bad right now. Um, I haven't seen the sales world like this since the late 90s. We're back to the late 90s. And by the way, I'm seeing all the same shit. I'm seeing the blog post being promoted again. I mean, obviously in the late 90s, it wasn't blog posts, but, you know, 28 ways to close the sale. 28 ways to phrase your request. But I actually said to somebody on Twitter the other day, I'm like, to a guy that I respect, he retweeted something from, from a blog that I respect. By the way, from a blog of a company that's supposed to represent the new world of selling, the always be closing world is dead. I'm not going to name any names. I'll let people figure that out or look up my, my Twitter profile at Doug Davidoff. But I said, I said to him, I said, seriously, has the sale world, has the sales world really made this little progress that we're still talking about the phraseology of how to ask the closing question as a key factor in success. Now I've got to tell you, somebody who's done something in business who, who, who's willing to deal with and, 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 and to be able to withstand what, what's going on. If, if that's the game that they're playing, they don't love their job. If I have to worry about phraseology at this point, then 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 clearly we're 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 selling commodities. And if that's if that's where you think we are, then then okay. And so hiring salespeople. Remember, the the point is, if you want to accelerate growth, hiring salespeople is closer to the last step. It sure as hell is not the first step. And when you hire the when you make it that early step, you create all these all these things that go in. And so you're looking at, you're, you're a sales guy, you're not running at full tilt. I've never met a salesperson that ever said to me, my, you know, this company gives me all of the support that I need. That's not to say that the salesperson is right because salespeople are by and large pretty prima donna, high maintenance people. Um, they like to say that they're not, but you know. They, well, you definitely, you definitely aren't, Doug. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, they, you know, so, so they're, they're, so no salesperson ever feels like they're fully supported. And in their defense, very few of them are adequately supported. And so we go out and we hire new salespeople. And oh, by the way, we spend a whole bunch of time with the new salespeople because we got to ramp them up. And now 
you know, now I'm the older brother and the baby came along and the baby's getting all the attention and I'm the one that's actually doing things and I'm not getting what I need. And, you know, and it just becomes this really demoralizing effect. And, and frankly, for most businesses, if they were to allocate more resources to the people that were good, I, I, I talked about this in the blog post when I was at Merrill Lynch. First thing they said to me was they said, we celebrate top producers and we reward top producers and we feed top producers. And they said to me, do you know what we feed top producers? I'm like, you don't know what? He said, we feed them the bottom producers. He, they said, and this was in pre-demand generation days. One of the reasons that we hire salespeople at the rate we hire them is because the ones who don't cut it, we take all the stuff that they got and we give them to our top producers to keep our top producers happy. So you need to understand you're either going to be fed by us or you're going to be food for us. I was like, whoa. And I'm not suggesting that- mind blown, but at the same time, but no, it's absolute. It's, it's absolutely true. It is one when you have a salesperson that, that, that puts a good presence out there, that drives results, that, you know, that you, they're the toughest commodity to find in business. And, and you should be absolutely matching them. Um, and, and, and you go out and you hire, you know, a whole bunch of people and you, you, you weaken your business, right? You, you, you become something that you're not. Um, I know, I know we're going a little long here. We, we, you can see I'm a little bit passionate about this. Why don't I talk now about the, the real crux of the issue. And, and actually I see this happening to companies even when they're not hiring salespeople, but because of the mistakes that they made in the past. Um, which is it artificially puts, it artificially pulls resources towards the bottom of the funnel. Um, I remember Early on in my in my world of demand generation, I had the opportunity to hear Mike Volpe speak. Um, and Mike was the the chief marketing officer at HubSpot at the time. Um, and this was, I think, right when they crossed about $100 million of funding. So they were on the I IPO track, but it was still less than certain that they would be IPO. That it was back still when their product started. So it was still relatively early days. Um, and Mike talked about was talking about demand generation and how you allocate resources resources and he said the single biggest mistake companies make by the way he still says this today single biggest mistake companies make is they allocate too much of the resources to the bottom of the funnel what you really need to do is allocate two-thirds 70 percent of your resources to the top and the salesperson in me the salesperson in me was like okay that's that's just stupid hubspot talk of course he's saying that because because he's telling us to blog so yeah that's just but then i started looking at it and he's absolutely positively right so, so here's the thing you can build a rocket ship which is a high stakes high risk low probability event i i think we use rocket ships today and we're spoiled because we think of nasa right and and you know the challenger explosion is a travesty because it's rare did you see the movie hidden figures i have not Okay, well, fascinating actor. I mean, a, it's a fascinating story about about other things. But but what I found fascinating about it was, it, you know, it takes us to to NASA pre-space flight, um, and it was all the story of math and and this. And and basically, what was happening was, um, every rocket they put up in the air blew up. It didn't it didn't work, you know. And it, and 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 you know, the story was, you know, through those 
through those failures, they, you know, figured out the math and, you know, part of the story was, okay, we got to, we've got to figure out how to get it, this from here to here without it blowing up before John Glenn's supposed to be on his rocket. Um, so kind of, kind of sort of important. You know, one of the big things that, that John Kennedy said in his, in his speech, um, we will put a man on the moon uh, by the end of the decade that doesn't get all the credit that it deserves. He said, we will put a man on the moon and return him safely <laughs> by the end of the decade. That, that, um, that piece goes left unsaid. I, um, I, I actually had a chance to talk to, to one of the early um, head engineers, NASA, during that, that time period. And he said, yeah, you know, we figured out how to put a man on the moon about 30% into the timeline. He said the last 70% was all about figuring out how to get him back. Yep. So like if, if all we had to do was get him to the moon, it would have been a lot easier. So, well, that, I mean, that, I, that's a great comment because I actually had an opportunity to see Ed Visters, and I don't know if you know who he is, but he's climbed the tallest peaks in the world and he's the only American to do it without bottled oxygen. And he relates climbing mountains to the business world fascinating story, you know, or fascinating stories. He was also in the IMAX uh, the, um, Everest when they went and they had to rescue that his best friend was killed in that. But he said the number one thing that he looks at is, hey, I can always get to the top. I know I can get to the top. But I make my decision on can I get back down? Yeah. And he said too many climbers make the decision of, hey, I want to climb Everest. And all they think about is training for getting up there. They don't train for getting down. Yeah, more people die, more people die on the descent than they do on the, right. On the climb. Right. Um, which, which, by the way, think about this. What are the two marvels of space flight that, that we talked about? There's the, there's the space shuttle, which was a marvel because it was the first time we, we generated um, a reusable spacecraft. Right. And, and even there, we generated a reusable spacecraft, but it was not capable of getting into space on its own. We had to use something else to get it to space, right? And, and now you have SpaceX, you know, you have um, Elon Musk and there's a few other people that are doing it with the idea of a reusable rocket, right? And so we use the rocket ship metaphor, but what everyone forgets is that the rocket ship destroys itself. It doesn't get like, yeah, it gets to space, but it's blown up. And, and within that rocket, we have that device that, that then does the, you know, whatever, the satellite, et cetera. And, and so we forget that, you know, most of us are not willing to blow up our business, right? And, but that's what happens is we blow up all the time. Here's what I think is a much better metaphor for fast growth. I, I think the better metaphor for fast growth is, is airplanes, is airplanes, right? And, and, and airplanes have an explosive growth pattern, right? They have to achieve scale in a relatively fast period of time, right? And, and if you lift in a fast time. Mm -hmm. Yep. So they have to they have to get up to 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 an altitude and at a fast pace. Um, they use up the significant portion of their fuel to get there because it's a it's an expensive explosion to get there. And then they let certain principles carry them the rest of the way, which makes air flight possible. And why we you know you were just in Sarasota, you were in Vegas before. I'm going to San Francisco next week. Um, already been upgraded to first class. So I'm excited. Um, have a little vodka along the way. Maybe we should record a podcast from, from the cabin. 30,000 feet in the air. Right, exactly, right. And so it's going to be this nice, peaceful, I'm planning on getting my work done. I got a whole bunch of work piling up that, that I'm going to do on that flight. And, and you hit it. Why, how do planes fly? They fly because of lift. 
They fly because of the principle of lift. My, my brother's an aeronautics engineer. I'm flying with him several years ago. And he's, we're, we're having this conversation about how planes fly. And what my brother explains is that basically there's one principle, and I'm sure I'm butchering this, but there's one principle that ena enables planes to fly, the principle of lift. And by the way, it violates every other principle of physics, which is why once that principle of lift doesn't work for it, it crashes really hard and really fast. And for those people that don't know what lift is, lift occurs when the rate of wind above the wing is, is going at a faster rate than the rate of the wind below the wing. And, and when that rate occurs, it creates a vacuum that, that literally pulls the object up, right? And that's what lift is. Well, the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel, if, if the rate of wind, if the, if the velocity at the top is sufficiently faster than the velocity at the bottom, then you'll get lift. But the moment that that velocity at the top isn't faster, well, now you just, you know, you're, you're, you're relying on, on propulsion, if you will, to, to get any kind of growth. It's not sustainable, um, which, you know, which leads to that problem. And so when you hire salespeople too early, they are bottom funnel focused. By the way, when you don't raise enough money and you need, and, and, and you haven't designed realizing that buyers buy on their time, you get this artificial pull to the bottom of the funnel. And so you no longer can work the way the market wants to work. You are forced to move the market. And what do you do? You do all these things that, that basically just keep you going. You discount. You hire more salespeople so that there's more calling. So you start over calling, you over email. You don't have the time to understand who your customer is and you put out crap, 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 crap. And, and literally all you're doing is throwing more shit into the system to make up for that lack of lift. And, and it does yield some short-term results, right? I mean, offer a discount, you'll close some business. But now I expect a discount. And you know, before you know it, you know, 10%, was enough to get the deal done. Now everybody knows, yeah, they'll give you 10%. So now it's 15%. And, and, and so, you know, like I was saying before, I saw this in the late 1990s where money was being thrown around like crazy. Um, businesses that weren't well thought out were being forced to do all these things and made the environment a whole lot worse. It looked like coming out of the, the aughts into the you know, 2010s and teens, it looked like we started getting a little bit more sophisticated. We were, you know, we were more aware, but I'll tell you, man, right now, it is as bad as, as I can recall seeing it in terms of what we're seeing, and it's making everybody's life more difficult, and I'm convinced that one of the primary reasons is you have all these companies that have thrown money at things, overhired salespeople, haven't built solid propositions, and there's lots of great ideas. I mean, like, there's, there's trillion dollars, trillions of dollars of wealth in these businesses, they're never going to be uncovered because they, they, they're not bringing the principle of lift. And so they're going to crash and burn. And, and by the way, they're going to crash and burn because the, the, the competitive disruption that we're going to see um, over, over the next decade, which is probably longer than I should say, is, is just awestruck. I mean, when, when Berkshire Hathaway Amazon. Amazon. I was just going to say Morgan. that. Right. Well, not, not only do they combine, but they combine with the statement of and eliminate the need for profit. Mm 
It's like, okay, we're we're going into a world that 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 we can't even conceive right now. Um, and and I'll tell you, man, there's nothing older school than throw another person on the street. So another person on the street, hat in hand, right? And 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 whether you're you're overhiring sales development reps, salespeople, whatever the case may be, what you're what I'm seeing more and more, uh, it, 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 I'm just seeing a whole bunch more of Willie Lomans out there with their hat in hand, saying, "Do you have 15 minutes?" And and it's gonna it's gonna knock us over. That was the best analogy I've heard to. The- to the sales funnel and the power of lift. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's fascinating because it, it really is, you know, I mean, it, 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 right. It, yeah. Totally eye-opening when you just, when you, when you said it that way. Yeah. And I don't, like, I don't want to sound like I'm patting myself on the back. Not, not that I'm, not that I'm above that. But, <laughs> but, but this is the part that's frustrating for me is that this isn't complicated. It's not unique. These are, these are the natural forces, right? Let's just, let's just accept the natural forces. You know, the natural forces are buyers control their destiny. Buyers buy on their time. Principles of physics and growth and lift and things like that. And let's start doing things that cause these, these, these phenomena to work for us instead of us constantly working against it. Um, and that, again, that, you know, it is, why did I write this post? Because my single biggest frustration is I love working with, with um, whether you call them small or mid-market companies that are at the, that are at the precipice of, of explosive growth to just keep doing the same wrong thing over and over again. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it's just time Let's just, you know what? If we're going to do something stupid, let's just do something different. That's stupid. Let's not <laughs> the same, the same mistake. The so same playbook over and over again. Yep. That's why I wrote the post. That's awesome. Well, again, hats off. Mine was blown mine, when I read it. And I'm mine, mind blown. blown. Still getting a lot of uh, comments on it. So hopefully yeah, it a lot of leads. And, 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 and I'll, 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 you know what, you know, here's the funny thing. I didn't even write, I did not write this post for leads. I don't, I actually don't, I don't think it's going to bring me a lot of leads. It's actually, we're actually going to be able to use it in, in, in our sales process. Um, I think that, you know, we, I wrote this post because I, 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 I mean, I'm, I did it for charity. I did it to make the world a better place, right? We want to make the world a better place. Now, you know, it, it needs to be out there and I, and I'd love to see more of a conversation around it. Because the final thing, I didn't even bring it up. I get, I get the advice here. Your, your board's not going to like the advice. Your board's going to say, hire salespeople. Um, the VP of sales is going to say, we need headcount because I measure my system by headcount. And, and it's like, you know, that, that you know, the, the very same people that laugh at bricks and mortar. Oh, why are you going to build a bricks and mortar? You'd be, you're foolish to do that, are, are going out there and hiring. Um, hundreds of salespeople. And, and by the way, there are some really good companies out there that have done some great things that, that have, that are over hiring sales reps. And, and I'm telling you, they're, they're at the precipice to start destroying the very brand and reputation that they've built. 
Yep. We'll leave you on that. Um, Ellen, how, how long did we go? That went, how'd we do, Ellen? About 45 minutes. Oh, wait. So we're sure we got more time than now. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, Already that was again, and, and this one, I, I know we've talked a little bit about, you know, commenting in some more instances. This was, to me, this was your time. And I, that was, the, that article was the favorite article that I've read of 2018. Your concept around drift or lift, not drift, <laughs> is, it's just fascinating that you brought it that way. And I've literally, since I read this post, every night I go to bed and I say, I wish Doug wrote this post and I read it before I hired Park. The post was that eye-opening to me of how, how did I miss this? I was, I was doing the same thing that everybody else was doing. Mm -hmm. You're keeping that, that's part of the, that's part of the, the <laughs> podcast, right? We're still recording, so <laughs> I actually could sneak that in there. No, I really like this one too. I feel like you guys um, always touch on, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but things that people do poorly with sales, but going into this very deep conversation, I think your audience will really like this podcast. We, we should do a, um, another podcast with you and me, Mike, on what do salespeople need to do to be relevant today? Yeah, I like Wait, that. Let me write that down. What'd I you like say? What, what do salespeople need to do to be relevant? Okay. By the way, you know what company I'm talking about, right? It's over hiring salespeople. HubSpot. Oh, I'm wrong. 55 minutes, not 45. Um, Sorry. Hey, I'm well, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind 